everyone. Welcome to another week of Antidote Stories in Medicine. This is Christine. I am so happy to have you guys back. Thank you for everyone that has been interacting on Facebook. Thank you for everyone that's been leaving reviews. The Facebook group keeps growing and growing, which is so exciting to see. So I like to bring you stories from, of course, all over the world, but there's a lot of stories from people that have been in my life throughout the years. And I have found that there's a lot of podcasts when it comes to medicine that love to talk about doctors and the crazy things that doctors have been doing and how they have come from these amazing establishments that are pillars of the medical community. And they are kind of in these ivory towers doing this really incredible cutting edge research. And those are great stories. But the stories that I like to tell are the people that you see every day in medicine when you work in it, the people that interact with you if you were a patient, the nurses, the EMTs, you know, your speech language pathologist like Annie. But every once in a while, I want to tell the story of someone that has been kind of on the other side. Like we heard with Dan, the, the reason that we all got into this is so that we can help other people. But if we're not ever listening to the people that we're trying to help or we're not ever taking into the perspective of the other side, we we don't really learn that much and we kind of forget a lot of things. And it's really important to see why we're doing things and what it means to be on the other side of kind of this great big chasm of patient versus provider. And whenever you have a family member that goes on to that other, you know, becomes a patient or you yourself becomes a patient, you learn a lot more about this field of healthcare. And I remember years and years ago, I had a bunch of friends and I was told about this friend of theirs that was really sick in the hospital. And to the point of <laughs> they, this girl was in the ICU and they were doing tequila shots every night at seven o'clock because she was so sick. <laughs> and they had to stop doing them because she was so sick for so long. And they would ask me what I thought about her case. And being an EMT at the time, I was very reserved and didn't know anything about it. But turns out it was a pretty incredible story. And I want to go into that story with you. But she talked a lot about what, when, what she went through and how she... Uh, received a heart transplant. And she just talked a lot about her experiences. And there's a couple of things that kind of stuck with me as I was have been practicing medicine. And it's just something that I would not have known having not known the story. So I would love for you guys to hear this. And it's just really incredible. So this is a good friend of mine, Alyssa. Welcome, Alyssa. Hi, thanks. Thanks for, so much for uh, asking me to come on and, and talk about you know, my experience, my story and all of that. <laughs> I know it, it really got to a point where I was telling them like, please, please no more. Please stop. <laughs> like you guys are going to, you guys are going to get sick. <laughs> well, I think for a part of the tequila shots, you weren't telling them anything because you were in a coma. <laughs> true, true, true. And I, I always kind of forget about that whole part. Cause like, I really wasn't there. You know what I mean? Which is like, that's, that's kind of the most like, I guess, medically interesting part. And like, I have zero insight. I have like, no, <laughs> I have no timeline. Like, I'm like, I was here for a couple days and here for a couple days. Don't really know. Like, <laughs> but um, I know that's kind of when, like, it was pretty bad. Like I, I, I died a little bit. Like, honestly, like I, they had to. Um, but like literally. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not like, oh my God, I died when I found that out. Like, no, you oh, actually yeah. were dead. Yeah, for a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, they, um, I know my, my husband tells a story about kind of those early days where a, a doctor came to see them and they were talking about that he, you know, this doctor was up on the operating table, like with his hands in my chest, trying to get my heart to beat. And my husband was just staring at his scrubs, which were covered in my blood. Oh my. And he was like, wow, like we're, yeah, like this is, this is getting real, you know, like this is pretty bad. Yeah. And, and Jay's not exactly a wilting flower. He was a Marine in Afghanistan. <laughs> like but, I like mean, twice. He's not, not yeah, he, he deployed, he, he was an Afghan and um, his final deployment. But I mean, that was, even then that was long, you know, not as lean, not as mean. <laughs> Yeah, but still. Like, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. He's not. He's not like you know a Girl Scout. No, I mean, no offense to the Girl Scouts. Yeah. But oh, my nieces when they're vicious. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, oh no, I'm gonna get poisoned Samoas from now on. <laughs> <laughs> so we're kind of we're kind of hinting at all the juicy parts, I guess. Say. <laughs> yeah. Someone in your chest. How old were you when this happened? So this is. I was 25. This is the summer of 2013. I was working like a temp office job. Like I didn't really like it. I was going to yoga every day. Um, I was probably healthier than I've ever been in my whole life. I'm, t- you know, whole grains, gallon of water every day, low sodium, everything. Um, and then I caught this like stomach flu thing, just, you know, worst case, both ends awful. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that, virus mutated in a certain way that started and it started to attack my heart and what made us go to the hospital in the first place was I was home you know I was uh Tuesday or Wednesday I'd been calling out of work which sucked because I was working temp so if I didn't work I wasn't getting paid I was stressed out about that like I was just watching tv and I started fainting and I it just felt like I was I would blink and I would open my eyes and like you know I was watching tv and it's like all right clearly that did that happened longer than that blink supposedly took yeah um, so I, I was texting I mean you know I was my boyfriend at the time my husband now I was texting my husband like hey I think I, I finished it I'm I assume I'm just super dehydrated I haven't been able to keep anything in me for um I think I at first felt sick on Sunday nights like two three days so he's like oh we'll take you to a minute clinic we'll get you an IV like and I'm like oh no 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 like I'll be fine I'll be fine but once I started you know passing out he was like, no, like when I get home from work, we're taking you to the ER. Mm-hmm. So he's, you know, he gets home and he get he gets home. He works, um, he works eight to four, not nine to five, which is one of these things that sort of grand scale is like, you, wow, because, well, yeah, we'll get to that. But yeah, he gets home about four, takes me to the emergency room. I, you know, I check in, I'm feeling very sheepish. I'm like, oh, like, no, I just have like a tummy bug. Like, I think I'm just super dehydrated. Like I, you know, I had a little faint, you know, at home on the couch and, you know, they gave me the clipboard, gave me a wristband, told me to sit down. And then I started fainting as we were sitting like more frequently mm-hmm. and they, they dragged me right back. Jay, my, my husband's name is Jay. <laughs> Jay said that it looked like I was having a seizure um, and his, his father gets seizures, so seizures. So he kind of he kind of like knows what that looks like. So at this point, he's starting to really panic, and I'm still just like, I, I don't understand what's happening. Like I've never been this like, you know, yeah. Like y- y- you get sick, you throw up. Like 
it shouldn't you shouldn't be passing out you know what I mean no and you shouldn't have seizures either <laughs> exactly yeah so they they pulled me back I remember they hung probably six bags of saline and they were just because I, I mean end of the day I was dehydrated they they had an EKG on me they're and it was like it all seemed kind of normal um, but I think they were lucky enough to get and I don't know if I'm getting it right the EKG with is that what you like normally do first yep. <laughs> you know um, okay that I kind of had one of these quote unquote fainting spells while they were doing EKG. And again, just lucky, lucky, lucky that someone in that ER had seen, um, had kind of seen this before and knew what was going on. And it turned out to be viral myocarditis. Mm. Well, full, the full name is idiopathic viral myocarditis because they don't know why this happened or like kind of generally why it happens to begin with. But yeah, he kind of figured it out, that one doctor. And if if I was better, I would know his name, but I, I don't. My husband worked at South Shore Hospital for a little bit, and he ran into that guy several months later and was like, my wife is okay. Like, you saved her. Oh, my God. So this was at South Shore Hospital? He first took me to South Shore, yeah. Yeah. And that's where, at South Shore was where they were like, all right, we think it's this, you know, myocarditis thing. We're not sure really what's going on. We're not really equipped to this. Okay. So the last thing I remember clearly is looking at all the saline lines coming down and seeing all the bubbles in the lines and being like, oh boy, like that's, you know, that's me. You know, I'm not supposed to have bubbles in the lines. I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, and then um, my story kind of ends there and picks back up about 10 days later. Um, but what happened after I essentially passed out still in that kind of triage area is um, they, they put a temporary pacemaker in um, and I think possibly did, did something else. But like I said, I really, my husband says that I was speaking to him after they put the pacemaker in saying that I felt great. And I'm like, I don't know, man, I guess that's dilated for you. Like, I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) So So you're, your heart was stopping? Yeah, it was. So myocarditis is your heart essentially swells up to the point where it's too big to beat within your chest. So what I thought I was fainting because I was dehydrated, but really it was a case of my heart was too big to pump any blood into my brain. Mm, that sounds like a problem. And again, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, just like lucky, lucky me, I was never, I was never like without blood in my brain for a long enough period to like severely impact like I mean I'm, I'm walking talking like nothing is essentially not, like I feel like I'm getting stupider but I think that's just everyone kind of feels like that once you leave school <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh, after the pacemaker was put in I was I got a med flight ambulance from South Shore up to Boston now were you driven or flown uh, well, I don't, I think I was just driven. Okay. I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't really like there, but I, I'm like 99.9 and it was a ambulance. But it was Boston Med Flight because Boston Med Flight does ground mm-hmm. critical care transport, but also air yeah. critical care. Yeah, yeah. Cause I, I think just at that point, the, um, the, the equipment I needed to like keep me alive was more than, yeah, more than South Shore had kind of ready to go and like more than, 
I guess would be in a helicopter. I feel like if I was in a helicopter, because my, my, like, you know, my husband who was a Marine was a helicopter mechanic. So I feel like if I had been in a helicopter, like I would know about it by now. <laughs> like, <laughs> they would be all like, on it. Yeah. That would have like a little trivia, like you were in a helicopter, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you would know like the type of helicopter. And- oh my God. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah it, was, it was an Apache, like. <laughs> um, so let's see. So we get to. Boston Children's? I assume they first brought me to Brigham and Women's because they, they wanted to put me on an ECMO and then they didn't have enough at Brigham, which is why I had to go to Children's. So explain what ECMO is for people. I don't know what the acronym stands for, but it's more or less a, um, a machine for your circulatory system and your lungs. So you get kind of plugged into it. Mine was femorals and one in my neck, I think. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of does the oxygenation of your blood for you. Yeah. It's- I think <laughs> like, I, you know, this, again, I really wasn't, yeah. I can talk about the, I can talk about the bivad all day. Like I know about the bivad, but that mom, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I think I know that's more of, it's more of an open system. Yeah. So it's a little less, it's, it's a less stable device than, than the bivad. But just at the time I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't breathing on my own. Like I was, you know, I had intubated the whole nine. So it was like, that was what I needed at that time. Yeah. ECMO is extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. Basically like when, you when your heart can't pump and your lungs can't work for you, this machine yeah. does it all. It's super bypass. Yeah. Don't Google it. It's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> It's very interesting to Google if you have not had one. If you have had one, do not Google. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you're on the list for a heart transplant, don't look up the Wikipedia page. There's a picture of just like an open chest. It's awful. You don't need to see it. (laughs) Yeah. I always tell patients don't Google things. Yeah. You you just can't help it sometimes though. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. So Brigham and Women's Hospital did not have enough ECMO machines. It was, they, they keep one or two just essentially as an extra and they had enough people that were just on them that they didn't have enough extras to put me on one is kind of the impression I got. Yeah. And I mean, I was only 25. I think children's typically is 21 and under, but it's like, I mean, whatever, like I need the machine. I need the machine. Close enough. Yeah. It's such a significant piece of equipment that Mm -hmm. hospitals don't have like a lot of them kicking around. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And Brigham and Women's Hospital and Children's Hospital, for people that don't know in Boston, are basically these shared hospitals. Yeah. They're literally connected. Yeah, they're connected by like this bridge. And so like I I've done rotations at these hospitals and women will deliver at Brigham and if they need specialty pediatric NICU care, like their child can go to children's. And there's a bridge that the doctors and the moms and everyone just walks back and cross. Yeah, it's like lit over the street. It's like on the second or third level yeah. of the hospitals. And you can just, yeah, walk all around. It's connected to um, Dana-Farber too, the cancer center. Yeah, it's this huge, huge complex at Longwood Medical Center. Mm-hmm. And BI, Beth Israel's right across the street, although not connected. So so then you get to Children's and what happens now that you're reported about? <laughs> Obviously, you're unconscious, <laughs> so you're chilling out. Yeah, um, well, I know I, I know that uh, I was having some kind of opposite issues. I was bleeding too much, but I also had a blood clot. So they were giving me both anticoagulants and I don't know, you'd call it like a anti anticoagulant to kind of deal with both this like excessive bleeding and the clot. It was, it was in one of my legs and it got to the point where they were like, if we don't get this mo- like rolling, if we don't get this clot figured out, like we might have, she might lose a leg, which is pretty effing scary. And like, I feel like 
thank God it didn't happen. They, I think, mm. I think that was part of the decision to tra- transition me from the ECMO to the BIVAD was um, BIVAD. It's, it's less likely to clot than the ECMO. Mm-hmm. If I'm remembering right again. And then also it's a little more, it's a little more closed. So there would be less of an issue of um, excessive bleeding. So, cause you know, I, I feel like most of your listeners probably are fairly up on their medical knowledge, but blood should be in your body. <laughs> <laughs> Not everyone's medical. I mean, some people are just like, I like cool stories. So, yeah. I mean, I was trying to talk to as if people are not medical and because also like, mm-hmm. I don't work with ECMOs and bivads in my yeah. regular day to day. Like if you want to talk about diabetes management guidelines, <laughs> I am your girl, but I don't work with bivads. So, I mean, explain to me like I'm two, you know, cause I don't know. Yeah. So they decided to switch me to the bivad, which is a um, ventricular assist device. I think what vad is and then bi is, means means two. <laughs> typically, <laughs> typically I know a couple of people who have had just the LVAD, which is just for the left ventricle, but since my heart was just so, it, it, it just really wouldn't do anything in there. So they, they did the both sides. <laughs> and the bivad, similar to the ECMO, is, is um, you know, it circulates your blood. Yeah. It's a continuous cycle. So kind of interesting. You don't have a pulse while you're on the, while you're on the bivad. Um, yeah. <laughs> which I had a, at one point I had some like peripheral numbness. So they sent in a team of neurologists and they spent a good, I probably like realistically probably a good 15 seconds trying to find a pulse and like looking increasingly concerned. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I was awake enough to kind of know what was going on at the time. So I was like, I'm just going to go ahead and let them have a little fun before I, you know, (laughs) I love, I love the idea of you just sitting there just tooling on these Harvard children's neurologists being like, yeah, okay. You go find a pulse there, buddy. (laughs) I'm on a private. Yeah. Right. Like not, Knock yourself out. <laughs> try my feet. Go ahead. Try my look, feet. Look, here's like, a hand. Find a radial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's actually, it's a really good teaching point for people. Uh, we had a couple of patients when we were in EMS that we actually knew who they were because they had bivads or LVADs. And yeah, yeah. Because they're like, hey, if you ever go to this patient, don't try and find a pulse. <laughs> don't put them on an automatic defibrillator because it's going to try and find, you know, certain things. And you won't find a pulse. There's um, there's a Netflix show where a character has a has an internal vad, and there's a scene where um, his girlfriend goes to wake him up and like can't find a pulse and freaks out. And he wakes up and he's like, "What are you doing? I have a hot machine or whatever he says." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't do CPR on them because they have they have a yeah yeah bad, so. <laughs> so okay, so I'm on the bivad now. They've pushed me back over to Brigham and Women's. They're starting to kind of lower the propofol that I'm on I'm coming coming out of it and at this point like all I know is that I passed out at South Shore Hospital and then you you had been actually unconscious for about 10 days you in a coma just just about yeah okay yeah and I I, so propofol if you don't know is kind of known for giving you like terrible awful nightmares Mm -hmm. and I won't go into it but it's that's it's true so like the first several days were like just trying to figure out like what was real and what wasn't and like what had actually happened and what didn't it was like very confusing plus just trying to figure out like where the fuck am I like right you told me something that and this is the thing that has always stuck with me Mm -hmm. is you said when you woke up in the ICU you were so disoriented and you had no idea what had happened to you that no one kind of told you what was going on. They just, mm-hmm. they, they were very brusque and you were like so terrified and just like 
what the hell? And people kind of just started doing their exam on you. Talking and, over me. Talking over yeah, you. It was talking to you like like you had known everything. I think perhaps the medical staff was under the impression that like my parents and my family were, were talking to me because I mean, they, they essentially moved in. They were like, whenever time I opened my eyes, like my parents would be at the foot of my bed or, you know, my husband or someone would be there, which was great. But it's like, I didn't get a chance to like ask any questions about you know, like, what the fuck? Right. Because first, for, for, this is kind of just me as well. Like just with my parents sitting at the foot of my bed, just like weeping and my husband, like white as a sheet. I'm like, I, I kind of felt like I almost didn't have, I, I, it made me uncomfortable to be like, what happened? Because I didn't want kind of them to hear it all again, but then they weren't telling me what had happened. So, right. I, and I think like my, my dad, I think might have been under the impression that like, I was able to like hear them and understand them while I was under, <laughs> which is, <laughs> he, he claims that, you know, I'd squeeze his hand when he'd say, squeeze my hand if you can, whatever. But I'm okay. like, I, I was having my like propofol nightmare. Like you weren't there at all. <laughs> So, and that's the thing, like, I, I may have registered, that's the thing, I don't know, I, I don't, but I don't remember, like, hearing yeah, yeah, those folks, which, again, like, yeah, like you said, I woke up, and they're, like, you know, they're just kind of rolling on with their day, like, tapping right. out the IVs and switching things out, and, like, oh, it's been three days, we need to, get, well, actually, no, I had a neck thing, so they weren't switching me my IVs yet. Yeah, but. they're a central line. I think also maybe... I see family mm-hmm. members just like, oh my God, they they recognize me. They squeeze my hand and it's a it's a comfort for the family members. But mm-hmm. that's such a great point to be like, one, for family members, don't assume the patient, if if they maybe even subconsciously recognize your presence, they're not like, oh yeah, definitely. Yep, this is a dinner conversation of, oh my God, isn't this, this, isn't this shit crazy? Like that's not that same level of interaction. It's a very important interaction for the family member, and it may be an important <laughs> interaction for the patient, but mm-hmm. it's not that yeah. same level of interaction. It, it's not something that, like, and that's the thing. I, I may well have like heard the voice and been comforted by the tones and squeezed right. and done whatever, but it's like it didn't. It didn't stick. Like, right. The the medications, the, the drugs you're on, like they they prevent you from creating those memories. Like what um, fentanyl kind of does that, and oh yeah, which is the point. So like you don't remember this awful, terrible thing that's kind of happening to you. Right. And I'm sure maybe the your family also, I see this a lot and I don't want to make assumptions, but mm-hmm. a lot of times family members say, oh, I don't want to bring up the event mm-hmm. because, oh, she's got a weak heart. I don't want like, <laughs> It's like that old, like, I had a like, right. 40s movie thing, like, we don't want to trigger her heart again, like, by bringing up all these terrible things. What they, what they would tell me was, what I heard a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot from my dad was he would lean over my bed and go, this, you know? The hard part's over. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm like, I don't know where I, I'm like, I don't know what happened to me. Like, I don't know what the hard part was, bruh. But I'm like, at this point, I'm trying to, I'm just struggling trying to brush my fucking teeth, man. Like, <laughs> I don't know what you think the hard part was, but like, I had to learn how to walk again. Like, that's not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that the easy part. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's. It's so funny about the things that we think are reassuring, mm-hmm. but when you're you have no concept of what the other person is going through, you're like, "What the fuck is wrong with you uh, yeah. saying that?" And of course, it is such a well-intentioned <laughs> statement from your father. Of course, and it, it kind of reminds me of the for other listeners who are listening to when Dan was telling his story about the other, the guy that was helping out when he got blown up, and he was like, "You're making your country and your family proud." Oh and my he's god! Like, what the fuck up? Yeah. He's like, "You're really being <laughs> annoying," but it's like a really 
a well-intentioned statement, but not, not helpful. So you have to really be, really be conscientious. of. Yeah. I, I think as, as like a friend or family member, just like, keep it, keep it present tense. Like, how are you feeling? What can I bring you now? Like, what do you need now? How are you feeling now? Cause it's like, I don't know what the hell happened last week. And it doesn't, it's not relevant right now to like, you know, me eating my breakfast. Yeah. You don't know how you act until you're in a situation like this. My parents never practiced. Oh, what are we going to do if our kid, you know, is on life? You don't really, they were just trying to keep it together as they can and they were behaving. Yeah. You don't, you don't run those drills. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. You don't, you don't practice. But yeah, I would avoid like the hard parts over unless unless the patient has made some suggestion that the hard parts in review. <laughs> so now let's see, I'm on I'm on the buy bed. I'm at Brigham and Women's. Yeah. And and I, I don't know if it was like a blood pressure thing or just being out for so long or whatever it was, but like my, my vision was super blurry for maybe a week or so when they first woke me up. So like they have a big whiteboard in the room that says date your nurses and whatever. Like I, ha- I actually didn't know that I was intubated <laughs> for, for a while. You know, people didn't understand me when I was speaking because I, I had a fucking tube in my mouth. That's the thing. Like I, I assume they were like, you have something in your mouth. They don't tell you because they don't want you to freak out. I had the little cuffs on too. I have real memories of that. But I know that Jay, Jay and I both know at least the alphabet in sign language. So I had to spell things to him, which was such a savior because I, I couldn't hold a pen like I was weak and... Yeah, I had the little the little cuffs on, so I couldn't really even move my hands that much, but I could still make letters and mm. you know, I was spelling people's names, asking about, you know <laughs> actually yeah, one of the um one of my favorite stories about this whole thing was right in this period of time where I'm like very foggy, very fuzzy, I don't quite know what happened, I don't know how long it's been, like I don't really know what's going on. Yeah. I'm spelling stuff to Jay and I spell that I keep spelling it her. <laughs> And like dinner, like are you hungry, you, you can't be like, oh, you uh, you don't need to eat now or whatever you because I had the NG tube. And are you asking me what I after? And I'm like, not. I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Keep the coma for a week and a half, and the first thing you think to ask is if <laughs> I've eaten dinner. <laughs> yeah. So that was actually the last line of my our wedding vows. I was like, oh, and I promise to make sure you always have dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Your wedding was so beautiful. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was a pretty good time. It was, it was a great party. <laughs> Thanks. It's so interesting, like, because we think about, oh, update the whiteboard and, like, mm-hmm. nurses kind of roll their eyes at it because, like, oh, we think it's so stupid. But, like, yeah, I mean, even though you really couldn't see it, but mm-hmm. yeah, the whole point is, like, this is today. This the point of orienting yeah. the patient. Yeah. I mean, I guess you would think, like, I hope they would have said you're intubated. But, again, it's hard. I'm not saying if, if they did, I, it might not, it might just not have stuck. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's possible that they, everyone was just shaking me like, you have a fucking tube in your fucking face. Stop talking. But I just don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry for the F-bombs. I don't know what this is rated, but. Oh, it's very explicit. Don't oh, worry. Okay. Right. A lot of swearing. So. Damn shit hell. <laughs> Get it all out of there. <laughs> How long were you intubated for? Was it until you got the transplant? No, 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 no. Thank God. Um, it was so, so <laughs> here we are. Uh, they, so I had developed some sort of infection along the way and they, they, they didn't really know where it was. So while I'm on these necessary tubes, like, you know, I couldn't eat. I had the NG tube. I couldn't breathe. I was intubated. I had oxygen. I had, I mean, pick an orifice. I had a tube in it and then some. So because of this infection, they wanted to kind of get as much stuff out of me as possible. So I think like 
I got I got screwed out of you know a couple extra days on the Foley cath. I had to start rolling to to pee, and <laughs> I, I just remember there was something in. I don't know if it was the central line or whatever, but I remember having like hold my breath and hum while they pulled something out. Um, <laughs> they, cause I, Oh, you know what? You know what? They tried to take the tube out, but I freaked out cause I had some pneumonia. Um, and I think it just, I, it, it wasn't, I feel like I remember them telling me that I had pneumonia or like a smiled case. And then they in, unintubated me. Um, and I like, couldn't breathe, like I couldn't take a full breath because I had pneumonia and I was like freaking out. They tried to CPAP, tried to BiPAP. It was awful. Um, and again, this is still in this period of time where I'm like, I don't quite understand what has like gotten me to this point. Right. So yeah, just like this is the most scared, feral, wild animal you can imagine who can't take a full breath. Yeah. Or what all of this equipment is because you're not. Yeah. I, I asked them to put it back in. I asked them to intubate me again. And they brought the doctor in and I was like in a, in a sheer panic. I was like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Like, please put the tube back in so I can fucking breathe. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, no one's ever asked to, to have to be reintubated. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing, I think this happened kind of in the middle of the night, but it might've been the middle of the day. Like I just remember it being a dark room. So I don't know if the curtains were drawn or if it was actually nighttime, but Mm-hmm. just chaos but they they did put it back in um and obviously I, I fucking calmed down and I think they they had it in for another maybe day and a half or two days and when they took it out the second time I think I was a little more prepared for it so I didn't I didn't lose my mind to the same degree but but that was good because they, they took out they took out the breathing tube but I still had the ng tube and that was kind of a fight to get them to take that out because you know I wasn't eating a whole ton um because I, I was traumatized. Um, yeah. But it's like, it's hard to eat with the ND tube. It feels like yeah. you've ever gotten like a piece of spaghetti stuck in your throat. It's that same exact sensation only you can't swallow it and you can't cough it up. Oh, yeah. 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 You just have spaghetti in your throat all day and all night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and that was weird because eating with the NG tube, it's like you, you really get that sensation of like, oh, I'm choking on something because you kind of are like it's in there right yeah yeah so I bitched about it enough that one of my nurses like you want it out let's take it out and just pinched it and like yanked it out right then and there <laughs> so she's, like, she's like you better start eating I'm like okay <laughs> yay for feisty nurses I know I know it's- like, be careful what you wish Fine. for. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, just, uh, oh, wait, that's there. I messaged you a little while ago about something that happened that I think I was still, I was still intubated. So it was my, my surgeon came in to kind of check up on me and like, just see how things were going, see if I was stable or whatever. And it was, not, <laughs> it was I remember the nurse for sure. It was Dana was her name. And this is Dana at the Brigham? Yeah. Yeah. Um, sixth floor. I don't know if she's still there. I think they kind of come and go, but. <laughs> well, if there's a Dana that's an RN on the sixth floor at Brigham and yeah. Women's Hospital in 2015, you said? <laughs> 13. 2013. Okay. So this would have been March 2013? No, no, no. March is when I thought it was. This is July. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Ma- yeah. July 2013. All right. So. Let's see if we can find Dana. July, August. So the surgeon comes in to check on me and I kind of like start like making eyes at Dana, like, Hey, 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 hey. you know, it'd be funny. It'd be funny. And I reach over and I'm like pretending to pinch the surgeon's ass and like smack him and like 
she starts laughing. I'm like laughing as best as you can with it, you know, tube down your throat. And the surgeon is just like, he's this very like straight lace, like bow tie type, you know, just like very sweet older man. He's like, he turns around from my giant, like three by five stack of IV pumps. And he's like, what's so funny girls, which has just made the whole thing even like we were beside ourselves, like in tears, laughing and just like pretending to grab this like respected surgeon's ass. <laughs> like, oh, you want to save my life? Ha ha. Like, <laughs> I'm going to be tw- a 12 year old boy. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not sure that he ever got to the bottom of why we were laughing so hard that, that morning or evening or whatever it was. But <laughs> you have to have moments of levity and something like that. Yeah. And, and that's like, that was, uh, you know, when, when she kind of told, when we were retelling that to my husband, that's, that's one of the moments where they were like, I think she'll be okay. <laughs> so, you know, make it funny, like make it somehow manageable to live through. And if that involves like <laughs> pretending to assault your <laughs> yeah. your surgeon, then I mean, so be it. Like, I still think it's funny. I still laugh about that when I remember it. <laughs> and yeah, that was still like pretty much pretty early days. Yeah. <sighs> Rolls right around. I'm still in the bi-bad. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm figuring out how to eat, brushing my teeth. Oh, the first time I got... Um, PTOT to come in. They hand me one of those like school day, like school picture day combs. <laughs> so you started PTOT. You know, you don't really think about like, because even if you take the world's most relaxing 10 day vacation, laying on the beach, like you're still going to be up and like walking around and moving. Like you don't realize how how much you could lose in 10 days if you're literally just laying in a coma. Right. So I know I was well, I was I was all puffed up, swollen from, you know, extra fluids and, and everything. But once, you know, once I got back down to like, <laughs> I guess just meat <laughs> when you get all the fluids <laughs> off, uh, I was like, I was real, real skinny, real, real weak. Um, like I, just brushing my teeth was like a victory. Yeah, just because you start like they think you just kick your feet off the side of the bed and you kind of lean over and that's it for that day. That's day one. Yeah. You know, and then you put a little weight in your feet and then you just sit right back down. It takes it takes a few days to like even stand up yeah. again. And it, it takes like lots of guidance. And it, it's just it's like a weird thing because like I said, I was super healthy, super active, fit, yoga, dancing, all this stuff. And, you know, to wake up 10 days later and not be able to walk is like kind of a mind fuck. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I was—it it was so scary too, because it's like I have this whole machine that initially, when I first started walking, it would—it would take like a team of four people, because there would be someone just watching me to make sure I didn't fall. Someone pushing the cart, someone watching the cart. Like, um, eventually, someone rigged up a whole thing. It was like—it was like one of those TV stands that you like in elementary school, like that they push in when you get to watch Bill Nye. It was something like oh, that. Yeah, yeah, only yeah. with yeah, only it had like my IV stand and my um my two vads on it so I was able to just like it was on wheels I was able to just kind of pull it around so once I got once I got to the point where I was kind of like moving under my own intention like and it is it is almost like being in school again like you have to ask to go to the bathroom because you just can't get up and go on your own so once I kind of figured that out that was nice to like all right the whole world doesn't need to know that I have to go take a leak right now (laughs) yeah and so you're you're trying to learn to walk again. You're trying to do all these things again, but at the same mm-hmm. time, they're trying to figure out what to do with your heart. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause it wasn't typically when, when a young, healthy person gets this myocarditis thing, cause it's, it's just kind of a random occurrence. Like there's nothing you can really do to prevent it. There's nothing you can really do to 
slow it down. It just sort of happens. And you typically crash and then bounce back. And they weren't sure why I I wasn't bouncing back. And I was just on the VAD. And they were talking about like, oh, okay. Like I was getting um, uh, echocardiograms, essentially an ultrasound of your heart. I was getting those, I mean, regularly, at least maybe once or twice a week, maybe once every couple days. I don't know. And like there was just no change. Like my heart wasn't, it wasn't getting any worse, uh, but it wasn't getting any better. And kind of the plan was like, well, you know, it's been, let's say three weeks at this point, you're not getting any better. Um, so I, I was presented with some choices where I could stay where I was and not do anything, which, you know, wasn't, wasn't really an option. Right. Right. I could stay where I was, get listed for a transplant, or I could be put on a different type of bivad that would allow me to go home, which you kind of talked about, like they, I would have had to, you know, sync up with the, the, the fire department and the local EMTs and make sure we had grounded plugs and backup power in case. Yeah. And I'm like, I do not just really don't want to do that. So really the best choice I could have made is what I did do was, you know, I got listed for a transplant. And since I chose to stay on the bad as it was and stay in the hospital, I was pretty much at the top of the list the entire time I was, I was listed. So I was officially listed. I think the, it was either the day of or the day before my husband's birthday that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was like, Oh, happy birthday to me. My wife needs a heart transplant. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It, it was actually kind of nice, though. Someone from the kitchen, I don't know, like I must have mentioned during rounds or something that, oh, it's my husband's birthday coming up and it got down to the kitchen staff. So they had someone come up and ask, like, oh, we hear you have like, a special occasion. Like, do you want us to make you some food? So they made they made us a pizza and, and a little cake and some salad and they brought it up on like fan, like real plates. And, <laughs> like, yeah, it was really cute. They had like flowers. And- and that just shows like how like everybody yeah. working in healthcare can have like a difference. Like you can be mm-hmm. working in environmental services and be a janitor and make a difference. You can be in the kitchen and make a difference. Oh yeah. All the, all the lady, all the cleaning ladies were so lovely. Just like always smiling, like very nice to me. And I, you know, I would try to like say hi and thank you when they would come and go. Cause it's like, they have the worst job in the hospital. I mean, you know, you, you the very least you can do is like, say hi and say thank you to the people that are cleaning your room every day, you know? Right. But so the, I kind of got a little heat for requesting pizza, but it was, it was just bad timing. Cause like this woman from the cafeteria popped in and she had a little notepad and was like ready to do whatever. And it was literally during rounds. So I have my doctors kind of standing at the foot of the bed, trying to like decide what to do with me. And then this lovely woman trying to like, you know, make this nice, meal for for me and my husband and like all I could think of was like pizza because <laughs> she was like are you are you sure because like, yeah. <laughs> again this is still pretty early on like I you know I'm on my whatever restrict sodium diet and you know I'm not supposed to have this and this and the other. eventually they lifted it, all my restrictions and I was just eating I would call Jay up and be like McDoubles chicken wing <laughs> I'm getting a new heart whatever yeah, pretty much because it, it got to a point, it was like, there was nothing that altogether that appealing on the hospital menu. And I mean, I'd been there for like a full month and it, it, there's only so many freaking low sodium grilled cheeses that a person can eat before you start to feel a little bit tortured. So yeah. <laughs> since, since my blood levels were all fine, they were like, as long as you're eating, eat. And I actually, I, uh, this doesn't look very 
doesn't reflect very well on me, but uh, I, I kind of made it a point to eat like just weird amounts and like random things because I didn't like the nutritionist altogether that much. <laughs> Cause she, well, I found out she did this to, to another, another person I know who got a transplant that when I got my tube taken out, the NG tube taken out, she was like, well, if you don't meet your calories, you don't meet your protein, we're going to have to put it back in. And at this point, like I haven't, like at this point, I haven't had to consent to anything. So I'm kind of thinking like she can just have them put a tube back in. And I was kind of losing my mind about it before one of my nurses was like, you realize like you're an adult. And if you say, no, don't put a tube in my nose, we can't put a tube in your nose. Right. And I was like, the nutritionist is being so mean. (laughs) But I mean, it all worked out in the end. Like That's a very negative way to approach patient care. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because but then it would be like, oh, I'm gonna have three Oreos and one and a half cheese sticks, and she's gonna have to do math to figure out the calories and like <laughs> just like petty revenge. Like, you know what? I'm gonna make your your job harder because you're. <laughs> I'm gonna assert what what yeah. little control I have over this terrible situation and mm-hmm. stop being a bitch. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. Like, come on. <laughs> And I did have I did have a really lovely social worker the whole time I was in. I would um, her name was Kristen. What and up, she Kristen? Was so 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 yeah, Kristen. She was so 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 helpful, um, and I just loved her to pieces. And I actually felt bad for her because my parents kind of were under the impression that her job was to be sort of a concierge for the family. Oh God. Yeah. So she was really going above and beyond her her job to like you know, she was helping them find resources to sign me up for additional insurance and find out about disability benefits. And And like, really, her job was to like, sit and talk with me and make sure I wasn't losing my mind. And she was kind of doing all these errands for my parents. And when I woke up, and was actually able to like, speak with her and talk with her, and she was doing her real job, which is taking care of me. My parents were like, oh, yeah, that Kristen, like, I don't know what's up with her. Like, like, we never see her and like this and that. And I'm like, well, the thing of it is, she's my social worker. So, (laughs) you know, so I guess that's another tip for family members. Like the hospital team, it's not a hotel. It's a hospital. You know, like end of the day, they're all here for the person in the bed. Yeah. You know, and if, if anyone's doing something for you and you're visiting or your family member, they're they're pretty much going above and beyond and like need to be recognized and, and appreciated. <laughs> yeah. 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 When you said there was a surgeon in your chest pumping your heart, was that yeah. initially? That was that was when I that was between me passing out on South Shore and me waking up at Brigham. Oh, OK. So that was yeah, I think I think that was when they were maybe explanting the pacemaker and putting the ECMO installing the ECMO or yeah I think I think it was when they when they decided to install the ECMO is when I when I had my little my brief dip into death (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah oh yeah trust me no one no one I know can get away with shit oh 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 you stubbed your toe oh but did you die no (laughs) my husband got LASIK about a year after I got my transplant he's like oh I'm really freaked out they're gonna cut my eye oh they're gonna cut your eye (laughs) did you get a new heart yeah oh I'm gonna be able to see for the rest of my life (laughs) Um. so (laughs) you get on the transplant list on Jay's birthday (laughs) yeah We'll get back on track. We're chatting. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's get but, back on track. <laughs> and then yeah. what, how does that, 
what 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 happens next? And then it's it's just waiting. It's just waiting because um, they you just because so the, for hearts um, you need to match not only the obvious like blood type, but it needs to be the right size for for my body. Like if an all all otherwise perfect match came to be, but it was like a six five. 300 pound person that heart wouldn't be the right size for my shape or if it was someone who was you know very petite it would be too small so so you're basically waiting for someone else to die yeah yeah it it, it gets to the point where like it it's such a weird point right here but it was like a half joke like head injury like you know like you know it's like you don't want anyone else to die but it's like i won't go home there's no timeline be there for a week you could be there for a year like there's just no you just don't know right which is like, it, it, it's hard. And I, I'm a person who likes to know what's going to happen. Yeah. So just, you know, I was all, I was all ready to go, but for the fact that we just have to wait for a heart. Right. And I know my parents, uh, <laughs> again, with my social worker, they would call her directly and be like, do you know how long is she second? Is she third on the list? Is she fourth? And it's like, first of all, the list doesn't really mean shit. Like, because I was more or less stable. I was doing my it thing. It didn't really like, work that way. Then, you know, the hard part was over for me. Waiting, 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 waiting. And that, that's kind of when you start to just sort of lose your edge a little bit. Because it's like, all right, no one can tell me when I'm going to be able to go home. Yeah. No one can tell me when I'm going to be better. No one can tell me when it's over. Which, again, with the whiteboard, like, please change the date on the whiteboard. Like, that can be, that's like my only little finger grip into the outside world moving and changing is that date on the whiteboard. If, if, if you make plans, if you, if you tell someone you're going to go visit them, do it. They had four months. They have four months to come see me. And some people just never did. And conversely, I remember every single friendly face that I saw. Right. <laughs> Choose wisely. <laughs> um, someone brought me a rum cake. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, rum cake. Cool. Uh, I am in the hospital though. <laughs> <laughs> like the idea, love the sense of party, love the optimism. Um, oh, oh, actually around the time that I received the gift of a rum cake, I had a, I had a case where there was a, a clot at the end of one of my VAD tubes. Um, and it was on the internal part. So they they did a quick ultrasound cause they were like, all right. Uh, well, cause one of the machines was sound off all day, all day alarm. And then finally that evening, I think something else looks strange. So they investigated and it turned out that there was this clot on the end of the tube that was in my heart. And um, I had to go in for an emergency surgery to get that clot removed, which it, it, I always kind of forget about, I'll be enough because it was such a blip. Yeah. But like it happened and it's really kind of, it really is like part of the story because it wasn't like. It could have gone horribly wrong, but it didn't. So Yeah. Yeah. And right as I was slipping under, I apparently whispered to my surgeon, please don't cut me open again, which I don't remember at all. But he said that they thought they were going to have to do a sternotomy to get in there to like, you know, maybe even just remove the tube and reimplant it. But he was able to somehow like snake something up from the outside and like suck it out without having to crack my chest again, which was amazing. I mean, because that would have been so on the, on the list, you can be 1A, 1B, 2A, 2B or 7. And seven is kind of, you're still accruing time, but you're not physically ready for surgery. So I would have been seven until my sternotomy healed, Mm. ironically, in order to be safe enough to have a sternotomy. And that's that's a pain in the ass. You can't put your hands over your head. I mean, it hurts. Um, Because you had had a sternotomy initially, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To, To get the, to implant the VAD, yes. And I had finally like got the eight weeks or six weeks or whatever. So I could, you know, put, you know, 
lay back with my hands behind my head and, you know, get dressed and not have to worry about it. Sneezing was awful. (laughs) Sneezing and laughing are the two worst uh, sternotomy problems. (laughs) So how long was it before you got a heart and how did you find out you got a heart? So it was, it was November 13th. And this had initially happened in July. Mm -hmm. Yep. I, I initially crashed in July. November 13th, my husband had brought me chicken wings. <laughs> Shout out to Wings Over Somerville. Oh, they're so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Delish. So he brought me wings and one of the doctors came in was one of the team. So they, they, it's not just one person they have. It's a whole team of, they have a heart failure team. They have a transplant team, which is probably what most hospitals do, but yep. um, it kind of, it kind of makes a difference because um, tangents upon tangent, but there, there was a doctor that I didn't care for altogether that much, just long story. And at one point in October, I had been second on the list for a heart and he was one to tell me about it. And just, you know, one thing or another, I was like, ah, eh, like now, like I'll, I'll, I'll pass this one, like, you know, which, and that's the thing, like oh, the second person almost never gets it. The first person nine times out of 10 will say yes please like, put this heart in me. But, you know, they have to inform the, the second, the second in line, just in case there's something, something goes wrong or the person is the first person is sick or whatever happens. But mm-hmm. yeah, this doctor I didn't like came in and was like, Hey, you're number two. And I was like, get out of here. Like, I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the doctors I'm kind of neutral on, but it was like more of a positive neutral comes in and she goes, you're going to want to stop eating that. I'm like, what? She's like, we have a heart. Your surgery is tomorrow. You're going to want to stop eating that. <laughs> And I'm, I'm just like, what, what, like, what the hell are you talking about? She's like, I'll give you 10 minutes. But you have to make a decision. So she leaves. I just turned to Jay. I'm like, blue cheese all over my face. I'm like, what the fuck? you know, <laughs> like I tried, I tried calling my cousin or I think I, I probably called my brother first, either my brother or my cousin. I, I think no one picked up their phone because it was maybe, I mean, it's kind of late at this like 9 PM on, I don't know, Wednesday, whatever day it was, middle of the week. And I'm finally like, holy crap, like, I'm going to get, I'm going to get this heart. Like, I'm going to be able to get out of here. Like, this is what we've been waiting for this whole time. Like, it's finally going to be over. Um, And, you know, and then I I made a second round of phone calls and I was like, hey, uh, yeah, it's definitely happening. Uh, Like, you guys can, you know, like come up tomorrow morning, my surgeon, not till tomorrow. My my parents live down in New Jersey. So it's like they they had been sent home at this point because they really weren't, they really weren't helping. (laughs) Yeah. My, again, my social worker, my wonderful social social worker was the, uh, she comes in and she's so sweet. She's like, if you ever need me to need me to be the bad guy, I'll be the bad guy for you. And I was like, call my parents, tell them to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen, Kristen. <laughs> cause I, yeah, like it, it got to the point where they were just sitting in my room eating yogurt and reading magazines. I'm like, you're not even talking to yeah. me. Just go home. It's like, I love you, but I love you. <laughs> so much i want to yeah. love you from new jersey <laughs> you know they do say distance makes the heart grow fonder and my heart needs everything it can get right now <laughs> <laughs> right so so yeah the crazy thing about november 13th is my husband's grandmother who um is really his mother figure she she kind of did the a good part of raising him. She passed away. She had a massive heart attack 15 years to the day that I got the news that I was getting my new heart. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, Cause he, he had come in that day and he didn't tell me this until, until after, but he was like walking around earlier that day at work or wherever he was thinking, Oh wow. You know, 
oh, like it's Nan's anniversary. Like, wouldn't it be wild if today was the day that this got a heart? <laughs> yeah. And it, and it was, you know? Nan, Nan was like, I'm going to pick somebody off and get Alyssa a heart. <laughs> She's like, I got you. I got you. <laughs> right. Um, and like, I, I'm, 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 I'm kind of into that whole like spirit type stuff. So it's, it's, it's I, that's like my favorite part of the whole it's, story. It's kind um, of just like this beautiful serendipitous moment. Yeah, it, exactly. Exactly. Cause it's, it's, even if, even if you think like you die and that's it, there's nothing more like you can't, you have to appreciate this, this, this sheer coincidence yeah. of, you know, those two events. Yeah. So you stopped eating the chicken and you said, Yep, I did stop eating the chicken. I said, I said, I'll take it. People were coming in, just I was signing a bunch of stuff, you know, the anesthetic, whatever, you know. Someone came with a clipboard asking if they could have my heart for research. I said, sure. Um, and we we just stayed up all night listening to music, um, just trying not to like freak out too much. <laughs> and very wise, very wise girl. I played the song that I wanted to be our first dance at our wedding. And this is before we were even engaged. And I kind of look over and said, I always thought that this would be a really nice first dance. (laughs) Cause I'm like, if I make it, this is going to be our first dance. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, it's Bruce Springsteen Thunder Road. That was our first dance at our wedding. We listened to that the night before my transplant. And I told my, my boyfriend who, is now my husband. This is going to be the first dance at our wedding. And it was, you were there. It was, you can it confirm. <laughs> I can confirm. Yeah. So yeah, then I think 6, 6 a.m. rolls around. People come in, they're like, the first, yeah. I want to ask like, what was, what was that night? Like, were you guys just apprehensive? Were you excited? Was it like, it was like, it was kind of like, Imagine it's like the first time you're going to go to like Disneyland, but you've never been on a plane before. Okay. That's a great. Cause you're like, you're like, it's going to be great, but I'm nervous about getting there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah, 6am rolls around. The The whole team comes in. Um, they're like, all right, like we're going to get you ready. Like I think. <laughs> so yeah, I had been wearing my normal clothes, like sweatpants, comfy stuff. And uh, to, to, start doing some of the preparations for the surgery. They had me at least switch out of my t-shirt into a Johnny, but I had sweatpants on the bottom still. So they're wheeling me out of the room to bring me down to the OR. And she's like, Oh, and you're ready to go. You just have the Johnny on like, cause I, I wasn't going to be coming back to that same room, you know? So they wanted to make sure all my stuff was gathered. And I said, Oh, sorry. I still have my sweatpants on. Um, I still have my bottoms on. She's like, Oh, well, why are you sitting there with your, with your sweatpants on? You're supposed to be ready to go. And I go, no sweatpants. What kind of girl do you think I am? <laughs> like, <laughs> and like shimmy out of them, throw them at my husband. And like, that was, he was like, that's the last thing I heard you say before they wheeled you down to the OR. Like, what kind of girl do you think I am? <laughs> like vis-a-vis, like not being nude from the waist down. <laughs> so, because <laughs> he's mentioned that he's like, you know what? Like, like, thank God I didn't die. But he's like, if she had that's kind of a funny thing. Like the last thing I heard her say, you know, I'm like, oh, gosh, we did a little like smooching and like, I love you or whatever. But like the last thing he actually heard me say before my surgery was this like throwaway joke about, you know, <laughs> very true to your personality though. Yeah. And they, they, they bring down, um, it's kind of, it was like kind of a quiet elevator ride down. Um, Cause half of the nurses had been in the ICU and sort of knew me and like knew what was going on and like getting excited. Like the, the whole night, like the night staff just kept popping in and like hugging me and like wishing me well. And, um, cause I, you know, I'd been there for quite a while. So a lot of them 
got to know me a little bit. And I like to think some that kind of liked me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they did. Yeah. We all have patients that we really enjoy <laughs> and we are rooting for. Oh, yeah. I, I think I was just, I mean, I was 25 at a cardiac ICU. Every other patient was like, you know, either a, you know, terrible middle-aged man with a, you know, infarction or like an elderly person, very frail. So I was the only one with any like, you know, feistiness. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. So they bring me down and I'm in the OR and they, they you know, for, they have you say like what you're there for. And um, kind of very perkily, I was like, I'm getting a new heart. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny because the, the tech or whoever it was, and, and I don't know, kind of looked around and was like, "Is does that work? Is that okay for like legal purposes? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I was supposed to say like, I'm receiving a transplanted heart or, you know, whatever, but. Your honor. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know. Oh, so right before. They kind of took me out, took me down. They they told me, they were like, oh, there's a chance that the new heart might not, like, take right away. Like, it might not just immediately start going. So you might still be on an elevator by that when you wake up. Which I was like, what the fuck? Like, the whole point of this whole thing is getting off the bed. Yeah. But, you know, what? do surgery, move me back up. You know, everyone's there. I, you know, don't recognize that anyone's there. My, my cousin's husband, who I love very dearly was holding my hand and he thought I was like swatting him away because I was signing the letter J, which is like a little flick of your hand. Oh yeah. And finally someone was like, Oh, I think she's trying to like spell something. She's not just trying to like swat you away. (laughs) (laughs) So Jay came over and I, I signed VAD, just V-A-D, V-A-D, V-A-D. And he's like, are you, are you asking if you're still on the VAD? I guess I nodded. He goes, no, you're not still on the VAD. And he's like, oh, you just look so relieved. Um, he asked if I was in pain. I guess I shook my head yes. And it was like, you know, back off to morphine town for, for me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and it was just like, you know, you wake up and you have the extra tubes and cannulas and stuff. But it's just like days go by and it's like, all right, I, I, I'm breathing on room oxygen. Like, okay, like, all right. Like, I don't need the Foley cath anymore. Like, all right, cool. Like down to one IV, like, oh, because I had, um, they had installed a PIC line, which is a permanent IV, more or less, or a long-term IV, mm-hmm. <laughs> for those of you who may not know, because <laughs> typical hospital procedure is you get a new IV every two days or three days, and if you're someone who has, like, really, really, really difficult veins, like I do, it got to the point where I would see the poor IV nurse in the in the doorway, and my eyes would just start watering, it was Pavlovian. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they had to give me the pick line, which they removed during the transplant. And I had to go back to the usual, like, sorry, just do what you can. None of them are good. They're all bad. It's not you. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> I have one good vein. One. Yeah. And it's like, eventually you're just down to like saline, walking around, doing your thing. And it's, so I was in for a little longer than anticipated because they couldn't get my blood levels quite right with one of with one of my um, medications. So after transplant, you take anti-rejection medications, which suppress your own immune system to, to prevent it from attacking this foreign body that is you know, your heart. Right. No, I'm like, all right, yeah, they don't want to send you home with that. But at the time it was like, oh, God damn, like, please just let me go home. Yeah. Eventually let me go home December 2nd. Which was- Yay, right for yeah. Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. 
because I had just been beside myself. Like, I don't know if you've ever been on steroids, but it's, it's not a good time. Yeah. So I was just like melting down all over the place, screaming at nurses, screaming at people because, um, after the first couple of days, they moved me from the ICU to just a regular, um, I mean, it's still a cardiac, a special cardiac building, but it was just a regular room. Um, so I had all new nurses. It wasn't anyone I was familiar with. It wasn't anyone that was familiar with me. Mm-hmm. Those last two weeks kind of sucked. It kind of went from like five-star resort to like a holiday inn. <laughs> like, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine, but. <laughs> <laughs> so you get home and then you've heart biopsies every year? Uh, I well, right after the surgery, it's every week and every month and then every other month, every six months, and a year, but knock on wood, knock on wood, I've been doing pretty much so well and have been so stable and have had, I had one episode of, so rejection is rated zero through four, zero being nothing, four being you, you like are in urgent need of a new organ. Um, I had one test that, one biopsy that came back with one R, but every other test has an R. So I actually don't even have to get a biopsy. I just have to do like the, um, the echo. and. Um, How do they biopsy it? Through, they find an artery. So if you're lucky, they can get into your radial artery in your wrist, mine hide, <laughs> or actually no, hang on, I'm getting all backwards. So for a biopsy, biopsy, just one done, that's all they need. They go in through your neck and they kind of snake it down. It's all x-ray guided and they have like a little yeah. snip tool that they just pick little I've seen them. It's like little fragments <laughs> of the muscle tissue. And they were doing that every week? Yeah. 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 I don't know why that's what amazes me. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's like... It just seems so invasive. I mean, what can you do? Like, they, they give you a little a little zots of lidocaine in your neck, and away they go. And yeah. That one's the thing. So if, if, if someone's on an operating table saying, ow, that hurts, that feels sharp, odds are what you're doing to them hurts and feels sharp yeah so please don't say no you're just feeling pressure right yes like give me more drugs i i am an adult i can tell the difference between someone pushing on my neck and someone threading a needle into my neck which is what you're doing yeah doctor yeah (laughs) and then for your biopsy plus calf which they just kind of snake a little thing into the different chambers of your heart to measure they say pressures so i don't really know <laughs> like blood pressure i don't know um, yeah like fitting yeah. pressures and yeah pressure inside the chambers yeah um for that they need to find artery because they they just need to be able to get into all parts of your heart so since my wrist arteries are, are too tricky they have to go through my femoral arteries um, which poses some 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 additional risks but it's like they just can't find my radial arteries so that's what they have to do mm. And that that's that they only have to do that once a year, if that. And like I said, since I've been pretty stable, um, I don't have to go next year. And at year seven, if all is well, then I don't need to get an invasive biopsy until year 10 and then 15. And then I think it'll just be every five years um, until until whenever, <laughs> which is pretty good. Did you ever find out who your donor was? No, I I. So the way that, the way that it works, at least in New England, at least for this, is there's there's an organ bank. It's a kind of centralized. They facilitate all the you know who's getting what, and I can reach out to them to say, hey, I'm an organ recipient. But unless my donor's family has also reached out and said, hey, like we're the, we're a family, you know, we want to know, um, like both parties have to want to right 
meet. And and so far I haven't reached out. I just, my whole like, kind of hang up is like, I feel like I need to, to like do a little more, <laughs> you know, I don't want them to think like, Oh, you know, my brother, sister, cousin, loved one passed away. And like this chick just fucking, you know, does yoga and eats Cheetos and watches cartoons all day, you know, but that, that's kind of just my personal hang up. I feel like, yeah. And also I get, I get honestly so weirded out and just a little creeped out by those viral internet videos that are like, Oh, you know, Oh, he got her father's heart. So now he's walking her down the aisle of her wedding or, Oh, like yeah. this, this mother got to listen to her son's heartbeat one more. I'm like, don't touch my chest, please. Like, don't, I don't want to like a stranger's stethoscope yeah. being like, you know, it's, I, I mean, it's completely uh, a personal, uh, a personal decision. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people find it very, maybe very empowering to kind of say like, look here, I'm alive. Thank you so much. But for me, it's, it's more of a case where like, you know, I just, <laughs> they gave everything, everything. I, cause the heart's kind of the last thing they take. And they mentioned like, Oh, you know, your surgery is scheduled for this time, but it might be pushed back if, you know, the other stuff doesn't go um, completely as it should. So, as far as I know, like, you know, corneas, whoever else is, reached out and they're just waiting on, you know, the old phone home. But I, I don't know, like, like I'm very kind of irreverent and like, you know, I, I just, I just wouldn't want them to be disappointed. I wouldn't want them to be like, Oh, her, like she's okay. But <laughs> I guess that's a big, like kind of, mm. I wouldn't say burden, but I yeah. like a lot of pressure mm-hmm. to have on your, on yeah. your chest, I guess. To be like, oh, I, I'm carrying on the life of someone else. Yeah. But at the same yeah. time, like, if you're the family member, yeah. be like, oh, their mm-hmm. organs went to someone who's young, and and regardless of what they're doing, they get to live their life, you know, as opposed to someone that's older. Not that there's value <laughs> in life based on age or whatever, but it's like, if it was a donation of someone that was my loved one, was like, okay, it's a young person, they get the most out of it. They get the most miles on they're this like, thing. Oh, young, like they, they really, they really do a very good job of, you know, protecting everyone's identity and, unless everyone wants to know. Right. Cause like, I don't even, the, the new England region is, it's like the entire, you know, it's up to Maine, you know, it's so, um, so I, I, I do know how they died, but it's without going into too much detail. It's, it's not something that would be very easy to, to Google and like get a, mm. a reasonable result. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so then you're home. What has life been like with like a new heart and what have you been doing? You know, I got home. It was December 2nd. We rolled right into Christmas. We rolled right into New Year's, right into my birthday. And then my husband's aunt passed away. The, it ended up kind of slowing me down for a little bit. I, I didn't really start making moves until about 2016. Um, so I uh, have got up and enough to even attempt to go back to yoga. Um, I really loved So that was... I took my first yoga class after my transplant in June 2016, and I started a yoga teacher training that September. Because I'm like, I'm like, what am I gonna do? Like, so I decided to pursue um, yoga teacher training, kind of not only to both. It, it's something that I was, I felt very passionate about before I got sick to begin with, and also, you know, it, it's something that I I would rather do than yeah. an office job or, I mean, like what what else is there? There's office jobs, and then there's like retail. I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I want a job where I can sit down and where I don't have to talk on the phone. So <laughs> A plus yoga teaching. <laughs> oh, uh, at EO yoga. If you're interested on Instagram, 
Yes, I'm going <laughs> to share everything because it's yeah. really it's really awesome. And you're out there rocking your amazing yeah. scar on your chest. Oh, yeah. I, I kind of joked about that with one of my nurses. I was like, I've got all low-cut shirts. Like, I'm not trying to buy a whole new wardrobe. I'm just going to be like, I'll let it air out. I don't really care. <laughs> and, and actually, at, I've only been asked about it once, once. Um, and it was actually on my honeymoon. <laughs> Some like random maintenance worker in the hallway was like, oh, my God, like, what happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> So, and it's like, you know, yeah, this all happened, but like, I'm on a beautiful, amazing vacation, you know, in, in Punta Cana. So end of the day, clearly it all worked out for the best. So yeah, clearly. Yeah. Well, we've been going on and on chatting, but I guess, so I didn't know you when I was Mm -hmm. hearing about this entire crazy story because my good friends was one of your good friends from college and everything. But I remember hearing the entire time about Jay has been by your side the entire time and and Jay is fantastic. I guess we'll end. I mean, the whole story is like an amazingly positive story, which is a wonderful change of pace for my podcast. <laughs> and like, don't, don't get me wrong. Is- there have been, you know, dark days, dark weeks, dark months. I mean, hell, like 2014 was fucking awful. But, you know, kind of like what I said at the beginning, like, you know, it, it, it's kind of that human ability to like separate. You can kind of compartmentalize and like, all right, for five minutes, I'm not going to be on life support. I'm just going to watch fucking Rachel Ray and like, chill out or like I'm just gonna yeah. <laughs> once I, I got yelled at because I had to request a, a bolus of morphine because I was laughing too hard at at my husband and my brother who were just goofing around with each other <laughs> <laughs> all three of us got a little talking to she was like don't make her laugh she just had a heart <laughs> <laughs> oh I was gonna ask a feel-good moment at the end but my question is <laughs> what do you have to say about uh organ donation and and people being oh I mean I, I was always registered as an organ donor, um, even before any of this ever happened. Like you, you, you can't take it with you. It's not going to do you any good, you know. And I understand some people have religious objections, and that's I'm not going to touch that. But like you, you, you can help so many people. You can, you can just. It's like again, and also the whole stereotype or the whole mis mis um, information that oh, if you're listed as an organ donor, like they don't try as hard to save you, like. It's so not true because as you heard, I died. They could have had everything. I was at the top. Of, I was so healthy. They could have had grade A kidneys and shit and they didn't. They saved me, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So, I mean, I think I pretty much convinced everyone that I know personally to, to, to register. You just check a box next time you get your license renewed. Like, and it's like, you, you hope you never have to receive one, but yeah. in the event that you do need an organ, you, you want there to be plenty of people out there who are willing to that you have one <laughs> yeah, or families that are willing to, you know, have their loved ones kind of live on and, you know, kind of end their life is over. And, and that's the, you know, if, if, if someone's organs are, are healthy enough to transplant, the chances are that they died in, in some very tragic way. Um, and it's just, you know, that, that it's probably the biggest tragedy in that whole family. Um, right. But it turned into like, the most beautiful thing that's happened to mine. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm an organ donor. Uh, James, my boyfriend's an organ donor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm probably going to cut this part out. But <laughs> when I was getting divorced, he is not an organ donor. 
And I was dragging his feet and I was like with the divorce and I was like, hey, you better sign this paperwork because I'm your next of kin. If anything happens to you, I'm donating all your organs. Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't know if any of uh, Mm -hmm. our old mutual friends listen to this podcast, but uh, uh, but (laughs) so to end on kind of a a happier, happy note, how did Jay end up proposing? Oh, um, we go down to the Cape every year, uh, and my, my parents have a timeshare down there and and they let us use it for a weekend, um, every October. So he, so we had, we had gone shopping together. We had looked at some diamonds and I was like very excited. This is maybe, um, like June that this happened. And then I don't hear anything, anything, anything. I'm like, well, fuck it. I guess he's not. This is uh, 2014. Oh, okay. So this is like right after this. Yeah. 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 I know I said the whole year 2014 sucked, but. Not the whole. (laughs) Overall, it averaged out to suck, but this moment was quite nice. So he he bought it and like didn't tell anyone. He didn't tell anyone. I think even his dad knew that he bought the ring. And over the summer, we went to visit my parents. He asked my father for my hand and he had just. He had just been like sitting on this ring, I guess, waiting for a moment. And we were down the Cape just sitting around. And he <laughs> he was like, oh, we should go for a walk on the beach. Or, you know, some, some woman in a shop had recommended this like scenic vista. And I'm like, it's like 65 degrees out. It's raining. I'm not going to go for a fucking walk on the beach. Like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> you're supposed to be doing homework right now. Like, what? It, like, I don't even want to talk to you. Like, we're wasting so much time. And uh, I, like, turn around and he's on one knee with the ring box. And I just, speechless, he, like, said some very beautiful <laughs> things about how much he loves me. And <laughs> I don't even think I said yes. I just grabbed the ring and put it on and was, like, bawling. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, my my dad showed up about an hour later. I'm like, you know, like clearly we've both been like weeping. <laughs> I'm like waving this giant diamond around, and my father is totally oblivious. Like doesn't even doesn't even see it until and like I was calling my brother. I called my mom. No one's answering their goddamn phones. Finally, my finally my mother calls me back. She's like, "What's going on?" I'm like, "You know, Jay and I are getting married." And then my dad turns around and he's like, "Wait, what's going on?" <laughs> It was just—it was just so nice, and just you know, he's just so cute and nice. Like I can't even yeah. like. <laughs> he is a great guy. Yeah, yeah. and it's so—it's nice that it that he did it there because we, you know, we go back to that same room every year, you know, and we sit on the same couch where we got engaged every year. <laughs> yeah, I know it's not—it's not like that exciting, but that's how it's kind of us. Like just we were just sitting on the couch, like just blah, 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 like with each other, and. But it's a yeah. beautiful after all of that. Mm-hmm. For everything mm-hmm. you guys went through together and how supportive he was. And yeah. I mean, that strangers that didn't even know you heard about how supportive <laughs> he was. It's it's yeah. it's really wonderful that you guys had each other through all that. I mean, I'm oh, sure yeah. it made it a terrible time a little bit easier to go through it with mm-hmm. someone. That he, you was, he was working part time, going to school full time and was in the hospital every day. Like every literally every day. He did not. He saw me every single day for four months. He drove into Boston. He paid for that parking every day. <laughs> Imagine how big the ring would have been if he didn't pay for parking every day for four months. <laughs> right. Ah, damn. <laughs> yeah. And you know, he made he made Dean's list that semester. Holy shit. Can you even imagine? <laughs> and I think it's just he was probably he was probably just so fried that it was like 
when he was at school, everything else turned off. You know what I mean? When he was at work, everything else turned off. Yeah. So he could actually focus for once. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything else um, that just we didn't touch on? Just kind of general, like, if you are... Let, let, let the person who's sick, let the patient kind of guide the vibe and, like, guide the conversation if you're you know, a friend, family member, or even to some extent, a, a medical professional, like, if you walk into the room, and like, I'm, you know, <laughs> if I'm smiling and happy to see you, like, return that energy. If I'm like, sad and unhappy, like, recognize that, like, recognize that, you know, emotions do play a factor in physical health and like how you feel. Yeah, really, you know, I, I got they have a they have a Reiki team up at Brigham. And I, I have since gotten my own Reiki certification, because that was so helpful, even just just having 10 minutes of the day to just sit and kind of listen to like pleasant ambient music and breathe. Like even if you're not into energy work at all, even if you don't believe that it's real, like you, you can't deny that your, your emotions and your um, mentality play a part in how your, your body physically reacts and physically heals itself. And yeah, yeah, of course. I think we're, we're starting to learn that and focus on it more you know, we can do so many things to save the body and we have all these great drugs, but we need to be more cognizant of the mental aspect of it. And we could go on for hours talking about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's a that's a really great take home for everybody, whether you're a family patient or or us yeah. in, in the medical world. Yeah. And, and even just like out and about in your real world, like, you know, I've had a lot of, a lot of people at family parties, like friends of friends of family, like friends of aunts and uncles come up and like, they just jump right in with like, Oh, you had the heart transplant. You're such a miracle. You're such an inspiration. I'm like, you don't know my name. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like I, I'm a, I'm, I'm a human being first before I'm like someone with this thing that happened to me. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's very off putting to all of a sudden be like, Oh, I'm the miracle girl because I got, I got fucking sick. Like, <laughs> You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. That's yeah, also yeah. just me too, which again kind of recalls back to like, that's who I am. Like I, I don't very much care to be defined by like the worst four months of my life. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> I, right. I think some people, some people kind of like to sit in it and sort of make their lives about the transplant or about the illness or about whatever they're going through. But my kind of perspective is like, I'm just going to try and float on top of it, you know? <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm up here, I'm breathing, I might be treading water still a little bit, but like, I'm trying to have, I'm trying to have a good time. <laughs> and that's, that's me, <laughs> you know? I, I think you're doing, I think you're definitely doing a great job. I mean, you could definitely kick my butt in yoga. <laughs> <laughs> and I think when I started doing yoga, I texted you and I was like, what are all these words? And what kind of yoga mat should I buy? This is really great, but I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, if, if you happen to live in South Shore, Boston region, I, I teach a lot of yoga for, I, I call it yoga for people who hate yoga. Because <laughs> it's kind of that my whole experience of like, you know, let, let's not be deal about this. Let's just try to get through it. <laughs> I wish you did like online classes. Right? I would totally take like a, a virtual class with you. Someday, or someday. Watch videos or something. And your, <laughs> plug your yoga again. It is E. Mm -hmm. Uh, my Instagram is E as an echo, O as in yoga. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. I know this has been a longer episode, but I didn't really want to cut too much out just because Alyssa has such an amazing story. And I think it's all really, really important. If you want to get in touch with me, 
You can follow me on Instagram at Antidotes Podcast. Twitter is Antidotes Pod. My personal Twitter is Christine the NP. And as always, Facebook is Antidote Stories in Medicine Podcast. But there is the great Facebook group, Antidote Stories in Medicine Podcast group. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will be back next week with more stories. Have a good one. Bye.